Our sermon text this morning is from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, I ask that you pay careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would be with us. That you would... um, The words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts may be pleasing to you, our Lord and Rock and Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. If you walked into a church service and the first thing you heard the pastor say was, therefore, and he continued saying something, you would, you would quickly realize that you needed to have been there earlier to understand what the pastor was thereforing about. You would need some context to understand the sermon you walked in on. Well, in Hebrews 4, we have walked in on the middle of a sermon. Our text begins with, therefore. And therefore, we will need a little more context surrounding our passage. First, The book of Hebrews is a sermon, and in some sense, every sermon, there is an argument, or at least the idea idea of persuasion is key to a sermon, and there is an argument being made in Hebrews. The argument is why Christians should hold fast to the faith of Jesus Christ, why Christians should hold fast to the faith of Jesus Christ. Let me give some brief comments on chapter 3, which will help us know where we are in the argument. In Hebrews 3, the author has pointed his hearers to the faithfulness of Jesus as the new Moses, 
as the leader that will bring them to a land of promise, a land of rest. And it is because of this that the author exhorts his hearers not to forsake their discipleship. So the reality of rebellion and disbelief among the Jewish Christians and Hebrews is something he is explicitly addressing. Now there are, there are, a, lot of, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered about the meaning of rest in our chapter, chapter 4, to explain why the writer uses rest to help these Hebrews. The most obvious reason is that rest has strong connotations to the Jewish Christian. But there's more to it than that. And I'm going to get into the meat of our text first and hopefully explain why the, what the writer is saying about rest. But the point of our text for the Christian, which we read in verse 11, is for the Christian to strive to enter this rest. So I also want to get at what that looks like for us, given the state of today's culture. But first, some of the meat of the text. In our passage, there, there is an actual concern that some of these Jewish Christians will abandon their faith. The weight of this concern is right in the beginning, verse 1, which says, Therefore, let us fear, lest any of you should fail to reach the promise of entering God's rest. Fear is necessary for these Christians. And the author, he situates this fear within a story. The story is the one of Israel in the wilderness. This is where many hardened their hearts and did not enter the promised land. The first generation of Israel rebelled against God, and so the promised rest was forfeited to them. Now, there are a couple things that the writer of Hebrews is doing rhetorically that can be a little confusing on the first read. His use of Psalm 95, which we read uh, responsively, um, Psalm 95, obviously written far after Israel's settlement in the land of in the promised land, Canaan, this clearly looks forward to another rest. Most scholars agree this is in reference to a heavenly rest. I think this makes sense within the context of his whole argument, since in chapter 3, verse 1, he says that these Christians share a heavenly calling. Heavenly rest, heavenly calling. So this means that the promised land for Israel was, was only a foretaste, a type of rest to come. It is the rest experienced in heaven, where all shall be made well. But the author continues to give us more insight, another angle. The promised rest was something available since creation, the foundations of the world. The citation of Genesis 2.2 says God rested on the seventh day, from all his works. There is something here the author is trying to connect for his readers. God's rest at creation, our heavenly rest, our heavenly hope, and the weekly Sabbath. These are all connected. Let me say that again. God's rest at creation, our heavenly hope, our heavenly rest, and the weekly Sabbath. These are connected. The real issue, though, in our text is that just as some Israelites did not enter the promised land, the land of rest, so these Jewish Christians must fear and therefore strive to enter God's rest. 
Well, when I was reading this text, I had the question, okay, how are these Christians, though, supposed to strive? For us, what does this mean for us to strive to enter God's rest? We must strive, but how do we strive? And I think here in our passage, the weekly Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath day becomes crucial to our striving. The author gives a hint of this by citing Genesis 2-2 and God resting on the seventh day. But there is another indication Sabbath is key to the whole text. The word rest in the verses that were read is used ten times. The word in the Greek is katapausis, and this is most literally defined as resting place. And this makes sense in terms of a future heavenly home. But in verse 9, we have a huge change in the use of the word rest. In the ten times that rest is used, this is the only one different in the Greek. The word here is sabbatismos. It's actually the only time used in the entire New Testament. Commentators will agree that this word means something of the Sabbath day. One scholar translates this word Sabbath manment, observance of the Sabbath. Another translates it to celebrate the Sabbath. The writer of Hebrews is trying to connect rest to the weekly Sabbath. Again, the context of striving to enter God's rest is imagined through our heavenly calling and God's rest at creation. But it is experienced on the weekly Sabbath. Verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath to celebrate for the people of God. Think of it like this. Sabbath is a pair of glasses the author of Hebrews is using in order to connect the beginning to the end. It is a pair of glasses to help the church see better for the sake of their obedience and faith. Now, many many Christians view the Sabbath differently. And what, and what I hope is that you do not hear me trying to push for a list of do's or do nots. Instead, I want to get at what Hebrews 4 is trying to show. God's rest is given to his people for our benefit. For the Christian, God's rest must be seen as something of an invitation. An invitation that has everything to do with Christian living in connection to the Sabbath day. And if rest and Sabbath are a gift ultimately deriving from our God at creation, then why in the world would we make it burdensome to others? The Pharisees thought that they were being righteous by making it burdensome. And they abused the Sabbath and disobeyed God. Remember in Mark 2, what our Lord said to the Pharisees in a rebuke. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is gifted to us for a reason. Our passage gives us why Israel failed to enter God's rest. Verse 6, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So yes, there's something here where our obedience matters. And and the warning here really is, do not do the same. Don't fall into disobedience like your forefathers. What What I think is fascinating 
about this text is how perseverance for the, Christ, for the Christian is so tied with rest. What does our obedience have to do with rest? It might strike us at first that those are opposing ideas. Obedience, rest. If I may, I want to explain a classical view of rest and the focus of leisure. In this way, I hope to offer some insight into our modern culture and how rest is being diluted. In many ways, our Christian culture needs to recover a view of rest more in line with the Bible's view of rest. And hopefully, this will better connect rest and obedience for us. The author and philosopher Joseph Pieper was writing at the time of the World Wars where the issue of work was central for rebuilding what was lost caused by such carnage uh, due to the wars. And though Pieper, he wrote about work, his primary concern at this time was leisure. Pieper taught that leisure or rest was the true fulfillment of our weekly work our vocation, meaning we do not work ultimately for the state or for a corporation, for success, to get money or stability. We work for rest. Those other things are secondary. And with this focus, Pieper was attempting to restore the classical understanding of leisure, not in connection with idleness or or wasting time, but instead attentiveness brought on by calmness, or biblically speaking, be still and know that I am God. Or Psalm 23, he leads me beside quiet waters. In other words, it is in man's stillness and restfulness where we experience the fullness of God, or the peace of God. So Pieper's warning about the necessity for leisure was prophetic. Unfortunately, our culture today is consumed in work culture. And this does not mean work strictly done in the office or done for our employer. But work as in always needing to be doing something. Blaise Pascal once said, I have discovered that all of humanity's problems stem from one thing. Man's inability to sit quietly in a room. Think about our culture today, even outside of vocational work. Uh, TV, smartphones, bills, chores, organizing, senseless internet browsing, Facebook, Instagram. And don't forget about fidgeting products, because now Americans need to be doing something while we're doing something. I heard a, a lecture recently where the lecturer was talking about how one of the signs that our culture has lost its ability to rest was its lack of playfulness. And one can see this most vividly in the play of children. Children will play for the sake of playing. They have no ulterior motive. Since when is a kid playing tag because he's really trying to get in shape and trying to shed a few pounds? There is... There's playfulness about children's interaction with one another that has no care for utility or achievement. Here is a picture of rest that has everything to do with enjoying God's gifts for the sake of enjoying them. Playfulness. 
Today's culture, today's culture tells us our life is defined by production, what we do. Progress, progress, and more efficiency. The demand to find value in what we produce is pervasive. And this means that we've created generations of people who think they need to be productive to be valued. This creates the endless feeling of needing things we don't need. To be part of trends that we don't even know are affecting us perhaps in terrible ways. And we know, we all know, that the the value of production doesn't stop with production. Production doesn't fulfill us. So we add consumption. Value is now seen in what you have, what you buy. So doing becomes always getting. Keeping up with the newest and the coolest. Feeling left, left out if you are behind the styles of having. And to add to this, there's a shift happening with younger generations, with my generation and younger. Americans are still as busy as ever, but perhaps it's not that we are too busy, but that we are too busy in the numbing of our minds. We complain about not having the time to do all that needs to be done, but we are addicted to screens. Go to any local park and watch the parents. Their kids are dying to play with them but the entire time they are on their phone. They can't put it down to play with their kids for one hour. It it can be actually, sometimes, draining for me and my wife to go to the park because we do not end up playing with our kids. We end up playing with all the other kids in the park because their parents are on their phones. Go to a restaurant, around a table, a whole family sitting, waiting for their food, with cell phones out, being connected with everyone and no one. One of the great lies about technology was the promise to connect you to everyone and everything. Life was going to be simpler, easier, and more peaceful. Instead, it tends more to push us further away from those we love, distracting us from that which actually does give us meaning and fulfillment. The cultural pressures and trivial delights of today are in conflict with biblical rest. Even Christians find themselves consumed with nonstop activity throughout our day while also demanding that our TV TV addiction is a right because, hey, I worked hard all day and I need to recharge my batteries. I have said that. And we have to admit that these things often bend our desires. We have to discern whether Our loves are being formed by our culture without us even realizing it. The idea of rest, biblical rest that we strive for, it is not doing whatever we feel like or want to do. Instead, rest is about reforming our desires, seeking habits that truly help us become what God intends for us to become. Rest engages the very foundation of what it is to be human, made in God's image. Now, I acknowledge that I say all this with the risk of sounding like an old grumpy grandpa shaking his cane, get off my yard. I I mentioned the culture's influence on our rest because I've been influenced terribly by the culture. I struggle to find rest in God 
throughout my week and also even on Sundays. The reference to Psalm 95 is another reminder that Israel hardened their hearts and the first generation did not enter into God's rest, the promised land. The phrase from the psalm, they shall not enter my rest, in verse 3, is again repeated for emphasis in verse 5. And the author here is drawing out a warning in dramatic fashion for his listeners. Remember Israel's disobedience. Do not do the same. But Psalm 95 also contains hope for us. And Hebrews 4 carefully points it out. Today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The promise of rest still remains. Why? Well, the context of Hebrews is important here. In chapters 3 and 5 and really the whole letter. It's because of Jesus. The one greater than Moses. The great high priest. The today of God's rest is available again because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Which means, now is the time to enter God's rest. Hear God's invitation offered to you. The other Old Testament reference in Hebrews 4, which I have already mentioned, is to the creation account. Our God rested on the seventh day of creation. And what we have in this argument for perseverance in the faith, resting in God, is an appeal back to creation. The fact that God rested after all his works and then commanded Israel to imitate him on Sabbath, this means that this rest finds its origin in the life and enjoyment of Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have thought it best that all the enjoyment they have with one another should be given to you, to us. And God doesn't just gift this one time, but weekly. A constant renewal of God's enjoyment meant for His people. You see, the, the misguided focus of Sabbath as what can we do or not do on Sunday, this fails to see rest as an invitation that we receive instead of something that we achieve. God made Sabbath for man. Sabbath must primarily be seen as a gift, not an obligation or something we have to accomplish. And with this comes the ultimate idea of freedom for the Christian. Not freedom to do whatever we want, but freedom to be who we were made to be. God simply asks us to listen. Do not harden our hearts and be receptive to his rest. This is a kind of obedience that not only ceases to be overbearing, but peaceful, restful, playful. The cycle of Sabbath is given to man in order that man might receive and embrace God in ultimate peace and shalom, right relationship. And the weight of this, God's restoring his people to himself, makes sense in our ritual worship of gathering, confession, absolution, the word given and preached, the word responded to with oaths and offering. And what do God's people do when we are restored to God and receive his word? We eat with him at his table. In other words, we feast. 
we celebrate. Rest and celebration go hand in hand. When God finishes creation and says, it is good, God marks time with affirmation. And what what affirms time as good requires the restful activity of celebration, festivity, eating and drinking, and communing. Rest is the heavenly kind of activity of God. It finds itself in God's nature who is both Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Resting in God connects creation, the beginning, to the end, our heavenly hope. This rest isn't just intended for the beginning and end, but today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but strive to enter his rest. Strive having everything to do with Sabbath. Sabbath resting. And we remember that this Sabbath rest we have in God is still a foretaste. There's a greater rest still to come. But we do get to enjoy that now. And what a gift. What a gift from God. That we are invited to experience the beginning of who He is and the promised end of who He is with His bride. Our lives today are mostly ordered by our work, by the things we have to get done. In many ways, the pressures of our culture, they turn us away from rest. And again, we must see we must see rest, the Sabbath, as an invitation, an invitation from God. That, that God wants to offer us an alternative reality. He invites us to be different from the world. And again, he wants us to become what he intended for us to become. God desires us to rest, a rest that finds itself in the very nature of God himself. It finds itself with God's people, confessing with one another, singing together, being shaped by God's word, and then, yes, eating with God and one another. Again, one of the most truest activities of rest we can experience is sitting back, relaxed, eating with God at his table with his people. And yes, this is a foretaste of the final rest, a rest with no suffering and sin. What we're doing this morning in the presence of Almighty Trinity, this is the blueprint for rest. This ritual of rest teaches us how to Sabbath throughout our day. It teaches us that we are more than our work. It teaches us to play to celebrate, to feast. It is how we find rest throughout our week. And to be completely honest, it feels like I am preaching to the choir now. This is a church that knows how to celebrate together. You love being together, feasting, playing, and celebrating with one another. And it is through that kind of rest where we embrace the promise of entering his rest while it still stands. So, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest by being receptive to the invitation of God that he has given us both in his word and sacrament in the ritual worship service, but also in the way we celebrate. This is how we strive, and this is how we find rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of the Sabbath day. Thank you that this is what we experience 
that holds everything together. It helps us see you more clearly. It also helps us see our lives and our heavenly hope. I ask, Lord, that you'd be with us, that through your nourishment of bread and wine at your table, that this would help us see what rest is to look like, to see it in celebrating, feasting, laughing together, and that we would also take note of what we are doing after when we get together as your body to do more feasting, more celebrating. We thank you, Lord, for your Sabbath day and what it teaches us. Again, thank you for your gift. In Jesus' name, amen.